There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everybody. Before we dive into the show today, uh, we just have a quick but, but joyous announcement to make. Charlie is back. He's sitting next to me as we speak. It's so exciting. I'm staring deep into his eyes. It's kind of freaking it's magnetic. Me <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. What, what do we want to say to the people out there? Well, I am very happy to be back. I especially want to say thank you for everybody sticking around and listening to some amazing guest hosts these last couple of weeks. I want to thank Andrea Salenzi, Natalie Weiner, Dallas Taylor, Sam Sanders, Estelle Caswell, Anil Dash, Gina Delvac, Megan Lubin, James Bennett II, Allegra Frank, and again, all of the listeners, because uh, uh, this yeah. made it possible for me to take a parental leave, which was a really joyous time. But we have one other announcement, and that's perhaps controversial. Charlie and I are also... So having a baby. A book baby. A book baby. <laughs> Ugh, this is grotesque. <laughs> so yeah, Switched on Pop is now a book. It's a book about how popular music works and why it matters. We wrote this as a definitive guide to contemporary pop in which we pair iconic modern pop songs with the musical concepts that define them. For example, Syncopation with Kendrick Lamar's Swimming Pools and Harmony with Fun and Janelle Monae's We Are Young. It also has really fun illustrations by the amazing Iris Gottlieb. You can check it out, pre-order it on our website, switchedonpop.com slash book. And the due date comes this out. book, baby. Yeah, it's going to be out on December 13th. So great holiday gift. Again, you can get it at switchedonpop.com slash book. It is great to be back. All right, enough of that. On with the show. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And today we are blessed to be joined by a band that you may know from their work with The Lonely Island. It's my dick in a box. My dick in a box, babe. It's my dick in a box. From their collaborations with Portugal the Man. And Carly Rae Jepsen. Me, I'm a fan going back to this head I hold. And their latest song, Dollar. That's right, we're here with Asa Taconi of Electric Guest. 
Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. We're so excited to break down this song, Dollar, from Electric Guest's new album, Kin. The other half of Electric Guest, who loves this particular podcast, can't be here. Here in spirit, looking down upon us. Now, we have been digging on Dollar for the last few weeks, and something I, I love about the song is that it captures, like, two sides of a coin. It's about economic anxiety, and it's about celebrating life in spite of that. Now, this song and this album also represents kind of a left turn for y'all and Electric Guests, uh, more of a, a pop direction, pop with a capital P. I just want to ask, why do you choose the sound of pop for this song and this album? I think I spent a lot of years kind of hiding mm -hmm. <laughs> sonically and in pop, for all the flack that it gets, there is just no hiding. And in that way, it's really courageous to me. The vocals are much more upfront in the mix and you kind of sink or swim pretty immediately. You know, I'm not like hiding behind some like crazy reverb that you can barely hear anything or obscure it. I've always considered myself pop, but to really kind of go for it in an unabashed way. I think you're speaking our language. We are all about celebrating the immediacy and the sort of like vibrancy of pop music. And this song does it well. Let's start to pick apart some of the musical elements, some of the, the capital P pop elements of this track. I just want to dive in with the first sound we hear. It's that keyboard part. It's what we're looking at right now, which is this Motu rack, which has these kind of very default piano sounds, a very cheap, wannabe expensive sound from the early 2000s. Let's get a little taste of that opening keyboard. So that was kind of it, but I, I did run it through. It has some modulation. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a little kind of phaser on there. Yeah. Make it a little more interesting. <laughs> This keyboard is playing some really lovely chords. We're hearing some like thick chords with lots of extensions, sevenths. Yeah, totally. I kind of wanted it to have a little bit of a, of a church feel and something that didn't make the, unfortunately, because I guess human beings just don't have any attention span anymore. So like the label was like, you can't include this intro, but I had this intro of this woman that I had kind of chopped up. I had found this this YouTube clip of this gospel singer who was going into tongues and it was really wild. It was like this 11 minute performance of him kind of, you know, just wailing. And the intro of, of this some elderly church woman kind of introing him was amazing. And I was like, oh, I really want to chop this and make it the intro of the song. So we did, but the video was so obscure and had been taken offline. Atlantic looked for for a month we down this rabbit hole and couldn't find the person. They were able to find the artist that sung it, but he had no idea. And, and anyways, I ended up getting an older woman who was actually on Broadway, who was like, I think she was Big Mama and like Porgy and Bess famously in like the 80s to come over in this room. And, and she, she ended up re-recording this woman's intro, which made the video, but um, it's not on, on Spotify. Yeah, that's all we got to say. And the track, <laughs> I'ma just let you hear. I'm a little confused now because we've got cheap old pianos, <laughs> YouTube samples resampled and re-recorded, and yet you're hearing pop. 
where are you going with this? <laughs> I appreciate your confusion, Charlie. To orient us, let's dig a little deeper into this keyboard because I'm going to propose a sort of interpretation of your track and you know you can you can take it or leave it i alluded to like a certain duality in this track economic anxiety and like celebrating life anyway i got a dollar in my pocket that's like that's a powerful sentiment it's like that might be all you need and i feel like the keyboard and the way it changes over the course of the song kind of reflects that duality because when we first hear it it sounds kind of Cheap. It sounds cheap. <laughs> Let's be honest. Totally. I already know where you're going, and I like yeah. it. It sounds cheap. Because in the beginning of this song, it, you're just talking about, hey, I'm I'm poor. I'm struggling here. <laughs> totally. 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 Um, yeah, you think I'm nothing but another fool, uh, and your words not mine. A cheap uh, kind of keyboard sound. Let's fast forward to the pre-chorus, and we'll talk a lot more about this pre-chorus because we're obsessed, but let's just talk about the keyboard and how it sounds when we get to the pre-chorus. All right, so similar keyboard line, but the sound has changed. Totally. Yeah, what are we hearing now? Same terrible uh, Motu early two yeah. thousand rack, but but a little bit more of that that expensive sound, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like trying to get the, the class factor just upped a little bit. That part I played on some you know kind of default like Hammond B organ thing yeah. and tried to play it a little different. You're right, it's it's the same chords, but it's the inversions are are different, mm -hmm. so it just has a little bit perks your ear in a little bit of a different way. Okay, so we've got, now in the pre-chorus, we've got like a little more expensive version of the sound, and the lyrics are getting a little more like confident too. All this other bitterness can fade away. I'm gonna keep on going to a better day. Let's keep following this thread. What happens with the keyboard part in the chorus? As I remember, everything drops out and it goes back to the cheap sound. I think so, I mean, and this is, this is what we'll discover. <laughs> My ear tells me that it like goes in between cheap and expensive. Nate, I think you've been tricked by some horns. Charlie is correct. And yet my hypothesis still stands because what happens over the course of this chorus, you have that cheap synth and then halfway through the chorus, the cheap synth gets a glow up. Now we've arrived at like a real inflection point in the song because what I, what I, what I think is cool is after this chorus, it's like nothing is the same anymore. We've like reached a point halfway through the chorus where we have this explosion of sounds. We're feeling like flossy. And from that point, we like return to sections we've heard before. We have another verse, another pre-chorus, but they sound a lot different. What are, some, what are some of the changes we're gonna hear? Well, there's the introduction, the rhythm changes mm. a lot. One thing that happens too, in the, even though some of the drums are programmed, we tried to play as much as we could on it. So all the percussion is real. And then there's actually a live drum track that happens halfway through the first chorus and it goes throughout. And it 
just adds an acoustic body a bit to, to the rest of the song because um, we didn't want it to just be synthetic. We wanted it to be a weird, confusing mashup of of feeling alive in a certain way. And the, kind of the only way I, you really get that for me yeah. is to have this these this blend. But yeah, I mean, added that church choir. There's there's a lot of rhythm on the bass. Uh, there's some guitar. There's there's a bunch of elements that yeah. get added. Yeah. Yeah, what I what I dig about like if this song is sort of like always seesawing between uh, sort of like uh, I'm broke or no I'm rich <laughs> you know uh, as the song progresses past that first chorus it's like feels like it's gaining more and more sort of confidence and like taking some of some moments from the verse and the pre-chorus that we heard originally and flipping them on their head a little bit like I was hoping we could highlight some of those moments actually because when we get to verse two again it's like you are expecting the same melody you get in verse one, but then there are these little switch-ups, these little changes that kind of keep you on your toes and keep you feeling like, oh, this this narrator is like feeling feeling himself. <laughs> totally. totally. That, was, that was the point. All those little garnishes where yeah. the beat drops out and harmonies come in yeah. or where it, it goes to full acapella. I think the, the moment in the song that people respond to the most, and we just started playing this, this live too. We kind of just had our first run um out in the world it was really interesting that the line Psh, everybody's a model yeah. is like it's just whole crowds it's just it's it i think it that seems to be the line that resonates the most with people all right let's let's get there via the 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 garnish i love that making me hungry and the second verse on the line i'm like oh best moment of the whole song for me. I just love the kick drum here because it flies by in like 64th notes, like kind of thing. It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally. Those little moments like show that you're going to you're going to make it. You're going to get through like you don't need money to have a good time and that continues. Yeah, let's get to that. Shh, everybody's a model cuz again, it's a moments like you expect a certain sort of musical setup for the pre-chorus and then there's a switch up. I love this as well because it reflects what you shared at the beginning, which is that when you're making an unabashed pop song, you can't hide and you're just front and center there. Shh. It's just you. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I just thought it was like the one line that deserved a full a full drop out. Actually, when we were in the studio um, with Portugal the Man, I kept thinking like, damn, we're almost down to an acapella. Like it would just be like literally bass and when for the demo and it was so compelling. And I started to think that like, if, if just those structural elements are that compelling, like to actually just keep subtracting, you know? So my, I, I used to like, this is actually extremely, if you look at the tracks, it's an extremely, tons of parts in the song like way too much there's way too many ideas and mixing it was a nightmare because it was kind of about like making room for for things and and but for this album as a whole it really was about subtraction and that's a pop thing you know which pop can get criticized for it's like oh it's so it's so simple and yet it's so elusive and difficult to do like and so i think yeah it was it, a lot of it was just like is it compelling with bass and a vocal it also has narrative importance because if in the beginning of the track we're starting with cheap stuff, a little quieter, like not quite as certain because we're talking about anxiety about being broke, 
all of a sudden here we're like shh I got this and so the confidence is coming out and that sort of other side of the, this duality in the message of the song that like I'm just going to celebrate today I'm owning this moment and it's a great transition from pre-chorus into chorus where you really claim that and now we sail into the chorus the second time in the chorus we don't have that dropout that we had the first time there's like a little more confidence now and then after the second chorus is our favorite moment in any song <laughs> it's the bridge oh, yeah. Sorry to go there, but is there a glockenspiel on that song? There, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of weird bells and stuff. That's not what Nate wanted to talk about. <laughs> no, I mean I could talk about the glock. I could talk maybe like a triangle yeah. part in there. Yeah, real the triangle was crucial, honestly. It's just so celebratory, and I struggle with the lyrics a lot because the it's a celebration. Like I had a bunch of different lyrics there, and I was like, is it's a celebration just too? Is it too corny? Is it too? And then like the dude that was producing with me, this guy Lars Stalford, who's great, was like, no, like this is your time. You know what I mean? Like just go for it. You know. And I wonder if we're back to the pop aesthetic there. It's like in pop, when you're in doubt of whether you should say something corny, you should say something corny. Totally, and it's it's the same thing with volume. Like now, I used to always insecurely be tucking volume. Now I'm, if I don't like a sound, often I will turn it up. And it's really interesting what it, it doesn't always work. Yeah. But yeah, that same theory where you're like, instead of being insecure, let me actually step even more forward. I think this is one of the important uh, tensions of pop music is on, on one hand, it has to be entirely polished and at, at the same time, absolutely relatable. And so it is raw and perfect. My ear went to was there was a little bell glockenspiel little fill that's like really strange and unexpected and it sounds like a bad toy piano. My favorite sound in the whole thing, which is the sonar sound. We found it. Let me play it. I just love this. I had never, not, not because it, like, we're so unique, but I realized once we kind of finished it, I was like, I don't quite know another song to reference. So the, even like the mixer was like, what do you want to sound like? And I could explain certain things, but, he, but in terms of likening it to another song, I didn't really have a, a, another song that had the same palette. The only thing I kept thinking was the Justin Timberlake song, Suit and Tie. Which like isn't like it at all, but it, it's odd. It, the world that it lives in is is odd, and you know the thing was supposed to be this faux expensive, you know. Yeah, no, that's the. I'm sensing the theme here is like you know, kind of just like you've just got scotch tape and you know some glitter, but like you're gonna have a party and you're gonna look great doing it. There is that rawness. That is that like it sounds like hey, I can make this in my bedroom. I mean, you have to be extremely skilled and you have to like know your stuff, but it, it fools me into thinking like, oh, this is just someone having a good time. Totally. And that's, and that's I think, that, that tension of rawness and polish totally. is a silly little sonar sound. Totally. And, we, and we had the philosophy like my friend Cole MGN, who's a, he's a great producer, and working with him, he'd always be like, 
if you would laugh like kind of low-key embarrassed like he's like oh that's a great thing if you're like like literally like and and i think that that joy like it really was genuinely fun to make the record and we didn't my theory was kind of like have you heard that the um that kind of lore story about picasso where this woman is um, at a cafe and she's watching this guy doodle something on a napkin and she kind of looks over and he goes to, to crumple it up and and she's like oh wait like can i can i pay you for that that napkin drawing and uh he's like yeah thirty thousand dollars <laughs> and and she's like what you did it in in you know two minutes and he's like no it took me 50 years and and i think the same ethos for us was like i'm such a control freak i've wasted decades of my life endlessly noodling with sounds and trying to control everything to try to get the song right and that's always going to be there so the idea was to really lay off of that and not over intellectualize it in your head and and i do think with this particular record that translated it's similar to the the sia quote that we've talked about which is that uh people will complain hey you, you just wrote a song in 15 minutes and she's like yeah it took my whole life to be able to write a totally, song in 15 totally, minutes yeah totally. it's all the, the composite work that all comes together so just to recap the necessary elements of a great pop song are corniness <laughs> embarrassment <laughs> and yeah as everything as cheap as possible i love it this is very encouraging i feel like this might be a good place to take a quick break and when we come back, I want to look at where this song came from. Like, what you're talking about here is certainly in the universe of this song, but it's also something that I think a lot of people can relate to right now. So I want to know, like, where this song came from, maybe what some of the musical inspirations were. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We are back with Electric Guests. And we're talking about their track, Dollar. What was on your mind when writing the lyrics of this song? Um... You know, there wasn't. Uh, I mean, a lot. A lot was on my mind. I think it was the, the general state of the country, and I think it's a pretty difficult and uncomfortable time for us right now as a country. A lot of transition, um, and I wasn't personally. I wasn't hearing what I consider to be most people's experiences right now, which is that we're all. It's deeply difficult to to survive in the United States people are, are struggling and suffering. And that was, was what I was hearing in all my close friendships and especially touring. You go around the world and in the States, it was like touring seven years ago was vastly different than touring today. People would tell me like, I work, I had to work two months to get this ticket. And I'm like, this tickets are $30, you know? And, and yet in the arts, what I was hearing was like, I have tons of money. I have tons of everything, you know? It was like, it, it felt more exclusive than it did in inclusive and and not to without getting too on my you know on my high horse i was just like damn how this this is an odd the arts is supposed to be for me the place where you take off the mask and can exhale and go that's right i'm that's what being a human is that's what the shared experience is and it started to feel like i started to literally be stressed out by the art i, I would see a video and be like damn i don't look like that i don't have friends like that and so i think it it was it was just tripping me out. The only song I could reference that I listened to as a poignant moment was the Stevie Wonder, that baby, everything is all right. Baby. 
the sentiment of it is like, I don't have a dollar in my pocket, but I'm, I can make my girl happy still. You know, I'm a poor boy. And I was just like, oh, just something along those lines would be nice to hear. Haven't you made Nate's day? Because we were just, <laughs> as we were on our way over here, talking about Stevie Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uptight, Stevie Wonder, amazing track. And I wonder if it's like a larger thread in Stevie's work too, you know? Economic insecurity comes up in tracks like Living for the City. His parents give him love and affection to keep him strong, moving in the right direction, living just enough. I wish off songs in the key of life. What's cool about those songs is that they're like, yeah, they're still upbeat and positive and like recognizing the hardship, but also helping you get through it. Totally. That was the, what you just described was the thesis statement for the album. It was an acknowledgement of the suffering that we're all in as much as we're all pretending not to be some of us at least. Mm. And what I think summed it up well for me, my father's a theater director. And when I was back home, in Berkeley, California, in the Bay Area, he was like, you got to sneak in and see the the first line of this play, this Birchall Breck play. And we went in this dark theater and kind of just in the back and, and the, one of the characters says like, will there be singing in dark times? And then he kind of answers him, himself and he says, yes, there will be singing in dark times. And so I think it was like, is there room for some levity right now in such a difficult time? And I came to the conclusion that there there was. But without an acknowledgement of the suffering, then you bum people out. Right, because uh, you, you could listen maybe just to parts of the chorus of this song and it would be in the like, Kesha or Black Eyed Peas, like we're just living for tonight, tonight is the night, we're all having the best time tonight. But you've, you've brought it within a context of why we need tonight. Like we need tonight because we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring and we're going to live the world that we want to be now regardless of uh, what we might have. Totally. I'm really glad we've established the connection between Stevie Wonder and Bertolt Breck now. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for that moment and and now I'm... I'm everyone I'm, was. Yeah. Everyone listening. <laughs> it's, it's just not that this is relevant, but um, just because I was looking it up, does anyone here know how old Stevie Wonder was when he recorded that song, Uptight? No, I'm actually curious. Any guesses? Mm. He was young, right? Oh, yeah. He's like 22. I'm going to go Price is Right and just bet over you. I'm going to say 25. 15. Shut up. No. 15 years old. What? Yeah. Wow. But not when he recorded it. Yeah. He must have been older. No. Yeah. 1965. Oh, my God. We should all give up. <laughs> I say it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any profound conclusion to draw from that. It just kind of blew my mind when I learned it. So taking that idea, I want to like zoom in on one section of the song, the pre-chorus of this song. This motherfucker might sue me. It doesn't sound good. It has to be sung. It has to be sung. I mean, have you ever heard a sweeter motherfucker than that? It's <laughs> a descending major second. Da da da. <laughs> well, I struggle with that too because oh, it, really? that it was just the I didn't without thinking of it. I usually have a bit of a melody, some kind of chordal thing, and then I riff nonsense over it. Yeah. And I often find that I'll I keep the nonsense because your brain is working on some different frequency where you're not yeah. intellectualizing it, and yet thematically, even you can sing about something that seems just really intrinsic to the song. And so that was 
so all those lyrics were just full off the bat. I wasn't even thinking sung. Yeah. This motherfucker might sue me. This motherfucker, <laughs> that motherfucker might boo me. Like, and then everything else was like, bada, 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 bada. And I tried a million ways not to do it. And then the, uh, my friend, the producer, was like, you got no. That's the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a nice, it's a beautiful, when it's sung like that, it's a beautiful multisyllabic word, you know, da da da, like four sixteenth notes. Um, we were talking about this section. We love this pre chorus. Like, da 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 you brought up Brecht, so we're going to bring up Bach here. We were talking about, like, there's something kind of similar in the structure here, something in classical music that's sometimes called, like, antecedent and consequent. Think of a, a song like Bach's Minuet in G. Like, antecedent, consequent. So something similar here, maybe, like, Unlike this motherfucker might sue me, and that motherfucker might boo me. There's another element because it goes down. It's like kind of like a little negative. This motherfucker, my da da. It's like, oh man. But then you're climbing up. I'm gonna keep on going to a better day. All this other bitterness can fade away. Like a more like layman way to put it would be like a call and response in a certain of a certain way that lyrically is telling you yeah. something. Moments of struggle, moments of confidence yeah. in that way. Yeah. Totally. The the motherfuckers are literally bringing you down, and then you're like pulling yourself up, like pitch by self. No, 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 no. Totally. But it also captures that duality again in the song, and it keeps coming back to that. It's like broke, rich. Poor, wealthy, you know, despondent, ecstatic. Totally. I'm uh, curious what you're going to say about the end of the song. There's like a bridge. Uh -huh. I guess I don't even know what you'd call that yeah. really expensive part. Oh, don't I know it? That part. And then and then into the what I would consider a breakdown afterwards where you sing in the chorus, but it's different chords, totally sparse, yeah. kind of 80s style. Oh, I got a dime in my pocket. I see you when I really want to rock it. I'm trying to have some fun at the side show. Cause all that really matters is tonight, so Boy, I got a dollar in my pocket And even if I never make a profit I wanna have some fun for my eyes closed Do it to all that really matters is <laughs> that's the that that's the part that live is, is fun, that breakdown. I feel like it's it just makes that final chorus sweeter. It's like that it's you need a moment of doubt because things have been pretty like upbeat and solid up till that point. Totally. Even if you just Take the chord progression that starts at the very beginning of this song. It's like an F minor chord with some with some business, you know, and then uh, and then a G minor chord, and then an E flat major chord, and then a C minor chord. So that there's some variation to that loop, but if that's like the first loop you hear, you know, that's three minor chords and one major chord. And the key of the song happens buried in the middle of that. We're in E flat major. Yeah. It's a happy song. We're in a major key, and yet it's surrounded by minor chords, which totally. fits the theme. That to me is very, you know, in the spirit of Stevie Wonder, mm -hmm. in that where you're like dancing around some key. You know what I mean? Like yeah. by by the the notes you choose to play or not play. You know? That's also kind of a gospel thing too. And like you started the song with gospel. Stevie Wonder is like coming from a deep gospel and church tradition. Maybe that's part of this too. Is like there's that duality in a lot of religious music as well. The sacred and the profane. Heaven and hell. There's another thing here that I just I feel like has been 
bothering me okay. in the best way. You know, there's like a thing in a song that you just, I guess that's an earworm. But for me, it's, it's actually the hi-hat. The pacing of the song, I never know quite how fast we're moving. Like, when we start the song, The chords are kind of moving in a way where you can count it really slow. Yeah. You could just like one, two, three. Or it can be one, two, three, four. There's all these different subdivisions of the beat, but it's kind of hard to know exactly which is the song actually in. Are we in a slower tempo or are we in a faster tempo? Totally. The hi-hat sort of tells me, oh, we're moving really quickly here. Totally. And the vocal at the beginning is telling me, no, actually, we're, we're pulling back. And I think that has that tension for me of that same theme. My mentor is Danger Mouse. And he just pounded that particular word into me, tension. He was he would tell me for years, like, that doesn't, you're, doesn't have tension, doesn't have tension. And it's such an elusive word. It's difficult to know quite what makes it. But hi-hats, to me, are one of the most powerful ways to incorporate tension into music. And I hated the second verse of this song. One of the reasons why there's those garnishes in the second verse is because I struggled with the tempo a lot. The minute that everything dropped out and it was, I, I wanted to keep the rhythm groovy, so I kind of insecurely would drop things out and have a lot of little, little ear candy just to get away from the fact that I was always unsure about the rhythm. But one interesting thing about this song, and this is a very modern thing, which I usually am cringe, uh, but but we did it in this song, is that the song was five BPM slower originally. And it was a lot, it was like nine or maybe even seven or something, a lot slower. And when we shot the video, which my brother directed, we shot everything in slow-mo. And on the very last day, we went back home to the Bay Area, did this whole kind of ode to San Francisco where we grew up. And on the very last day, he was like, do one in regular time. And we played that regular time, like 90 BPM. molasses and it was bummed everyone out but of course me i couldn't sleep for like two days i was like we have to we have to speed this song up it and then we did the, the last minute in like like i said a kind of very modern way we just like did the whole track up and and so it really helped what i thought was the overall vibe of the song well, and that's what I love here is that on one hand, you know, this is the, in the verse, but this is where we're really talking about the, the greatest feelings of insecurity. And yet uh, behind you is this hi-hat that's like, and you're, it's like, oh my gosh, something's chasing me. I got to run away from this thing. It also establishes like something fun's going to happen, but it, it doesn't happen for a long time. And so that tension um, really does bring out the core themes in, in a very somatic, just felt way. Sweet. Like I don't, I don't know where I am, whether I'm in the molasses or I'm running as fast as I can. Sweet, totally, yeah. That ticking hi-hat is like the grind and it's also the party depending <laughs> on the context. You know, something that strikes me as we're listening to this track too is that there's never like any gender specified in this song. It's very sort of universal. Is, is that something that was intentional or did that just kind of happen? You know, a lot of the things that you brought up today haven't actually been intentional, but what I what I realize is that like all of my neuroses go into everything. And so like, yeah, lyrically, like I'm not great at lyrics. They 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 really take me the longest part and and they it's really I hate it kind of. 
I'm never writing for anybody. Like, oh, I got to please people in that way. But I am writing... I'm of the old school mentality where like, if you don't have something to say, you should probably just chill out and then wait till there is something to say. Because I think that one thing that I've noticed that's been a little bit sh a shift in music is that I go into a lot of sessions and people are like, let's do a song like this, as opposed to like, I went through this and so I, I wanna say stuff. Um, and, and, and I just, I guess I just come from an older way of doing it where it's just like you know oh I feel like this so I have to you know I really I wanted to get a certain sentiment out and so with all the songs like there was always a, you know a specific sentiment behind it and not that gender was necessarily a part of this but but definitely I didn't I I, I wanted it to land in a certain way yeah. there's only one gender in this song this motherfucker right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that's also hmm Motherfuckers are not, uh, that's not really, I mean, they're, anyone can be a, a motherfucker. Totally. I, I just want to sing that word for yeah. now. It's also kind of like, it's like almost like under your breath, you're like, this motherfucker, you know, like this, you know, like this, this guy. Over here. And, and each of the pre-courses are different. So like, you know, a certain motherfucker might be the guy that kills you or a certain person might be the one that sues you, you know, different genres for different burdens. <laughs> this has been such a treat. Uh, before we go, you have made such a banging track with one of our favorite artists. In fact, an artist that we sometimes refer to as sort of the patron saint of this podcast, and that's Carly Rae Jepsen. Your song, Feels Right, is just like two and a half minutes of pop bliss. <laughs> We hold her up as like the paragon of pop perfection. Did any of that like rub off on the writing process for, for this album, for this song? Doesn't she represent something that I wish was more, you know, like not in vogue, but, but she, she's just this unapologetic pop thing that's like, there's just not a lot of her around, you know what I mean? I, where, where I think that there were, there's been eras where, you know, uh, people embraced what, what I think she's going for, but she's pop in just such a lovely way. And she's, She's exactly that as a human being. I'm sure if you guys have, have met her or done anything with her, she's she recorded the, that song in this room. You know what I mean? Just like she lives ten minutes up the street. You know, we're in the same room as Saint Jepson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just came over a bunch of days. She was really chill. There's no AC in this terrible room. Did she sit in this chair? No, I didn't oh. have that chair at the time. She sat on that couch though. <laughs> touching for the record, I'm touching the couch. <laughs> Um, but yes, but she's but to, to answer your question, yeah. she's really lovely, and yeah, there was um, there's like an innocence or something that the way that she approaches pop that's real. There's a purity there that that I really loved. Um, that that yeah, I I had I'd wanted to go. You know, in any good life or any good career, isn't it just you? trying to be more authentically yourself. And and that was kind of like the arc for us has been like, I think I've always been just scared to be more pop, but that's who I am. And so like, I, I think, yeah, we just, we wanted to just, just really be out there. And that in the same way, she, she just nails it. What else can we say? Like this is, these are words to live by. You know, you don't, you don't need much. All you need is a dollar in your pocket. All you need is a cheap crappy synth 
and just uh, a right to be corny and and like maybe you'll get by despite all the the struggle and the hardship out there like at least we still have funky music and then that sentiment it really says to me that we can work with what we have to have the best time we can despite the conditions around us that hopefully when this dancing's done we'll go and work on fixing <laughs> totally totally hell yeah Asa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. You guys are, it's been great. It's been great, man. Switch on Pop is produced by me, Nate Sloan, and he, Charlie Harding. Brandon McFarland is our amazing editor and engineer, and Megan Lubin is our production fellow. Bridget Armstrong is her producer, and Liz Kelly and Nishat Kerwa are executive producers. You can find more episodes anywhere you dig podcasts. And we'll be back in another week with some hot, fresh new take on the latest jam. As always, we are a proud member of the Vox Media Network. Hit us up on Twitter, at SwitchedOnPop. And until then, thanks thanks for for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.